It's really easy for people to say things just because they're ignorant and it's really easy for them to be ignorant when they're surrounded by people who are just like them, which tech is like overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly white. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with James. Hello, James. Hello. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? So I suppose we met at a Geek Show Off last year. Say geeky cabaret night run by Steve Cross. I was ranting about the tech industry, and you were talking about your love of movements. That's right. <laughs> it was a weird evening. I hadn't been asked to do that sort of thing before. Been to a few of those events that Steve does, but like right. surprised to be asked to speak on them. Um, I've done like like conference talks and stuff, but no one's ever asked me to like come to this thing and be funny. Right. Because it turns out that's really difficult. Right. Well, I sort of felt in the same boat that night as well. That was the first geek show off I'd done as well, and. I, yeah, I stand up on stage and do stuff, so it's much more familiar for me. But right. at the same time, where I was sort of like worried about was I felt like the people who get booked for that are like experts, and I didn't feel yeah. like I was an expert on anything. Right. The times I've been to, to a science show off right. in the past, they were like incredibly polished, and like these people are like clearly very practiced, if not professional, communicators of some kind, which I'm not really. <laughs> That said, I mean, the interesting thing is that the, the talk you gave at that night, I was really interested in the things that you were saying, and I thought you said them in a very interesting way. You, from the outside, to me, looked like one of those technical, professional people who was, who was kind of used to doing it, so... I was, I was hunched over, pale. <laughs> you had it all worked out. I felt like mine was... Like, after I'd seen the first act, of, that first half of that night, I was like, oh, I, I, I don't know if mine's going to go down very well, but it went out OK, actually, mine, in the I, end. I really enjoyed it. It was, like, one of the most, like like touching and honest talks that I'd see. Oh, so. that's really nice to hear. Well, there you go, you see. I mean, this is typical, isn't it? Like, we both go to a thing worried about if we're doing it good, but right. to the other person, it was it was impressive, yeah. The second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? So I'm a programmer, I guess is what I usually tell people, which vague enough. Mostly means that I build websites. Right now, I build websites for a company that runs online university courses. Previously, I've built websites for selling live music tickets. I used to work at an agency, so I worked for some fashion brands and sports websites, and I make websites. Right. <laughs> and uh, uh, the short version. And I should say as well, we're, well, we would have been in the Royal Festival Hall, but the Royal Festival Hall was closed today for some reason. So we're in a kind of offshoot bit of the Royal Festival Hall today, which is why you kind of have a, like a cavernous, echoey, uh, conversational type stuff going on vaguely in the background. But uh, I think we're I think we're all right actually, sound-wise. Fingers crossed. I mean, in my head, I always have like an army of, of annoyed listeners who are annoyed about my my, my lack of con concern for the technical kind of like crispness of the of the of the sound. Like I'm more interested in capturing a moment. Um, but I know that so many people like crisp sound that now I have them right. talking in my head. Even you have though a lot it, of uh, audio files, listening. Right. Well, not, not even a lot of them, but just I just I, you only need one to, right. to, to oh, feel yeah. bad. Yeah. I mean, I like to please story. people. That's the problem. But at the end of the day, DIY is kind of my sensibility. So I kind of just have to like accept that my tastes aren't in line with necessarily the general public's. Right. But, like <laughs> you, you can't please everyone. 
Right. I have the similar thing with making software. Both my job and I make a lot of software for fun in my spare time. And you make it, well, you make a lot of it to like put out in the world so people can use it. Right. And some of them aren't going to like it. And they, those might be for really good reasons. And even if they're not for very good reasons, yeah, there's, a, there's a spectrum. Sometimes right. you go like, oh, yes, that's a like, very good bit of criticism. That means I need to go and fix this and this and this. So in, and sometimes it's just, you know, people just berating you out of, yeah. out of frustration. So, yeah, there's, a, I guess, a, lot, a, like a fair amount of fear that goes with, like, you know, making stuff yeah. and putting it out there. You have the worst possible audience right. in your mind <laughs> at all times. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. And, and sometimes you get feedback and it's really useful notes and you sort of, like, take it on board. And other times you get feedback and it's useful in a way because you understand where people are coming from. But, right. you know, you're not necessarily going to make those changes, you know. There's, there's always a balance and compromises that people have right. to make. But anyway, enough about my sound concerns. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you, so you, make, you make websites and you work in code, I guess. Right. Which is kind of interesting to me because I don't really work in code. I mean, I, to say I learn a bit of HTML is to, to lie. I, I know how to copy and paste, and so I could use that, right. those functions to, to make early sort of use of, of H, HTML. Yeah. But now I don't even, you know, now I feel like even if I even try and get anywhere close to coding, I immediately am just shocked at how terrible I make things, and so I sort of like run away from that. Like, where does that... So that's interesting because you that's something I hear a lot and there's a lot of even people who write software for their job express some of those things like people are very scared of, of, of being judged and there is a very judgmental culture around a software and so I, I know quite a lot of people who've basically accomplished more than they think they have like they think this this thing that they think is this incredibly insignificant and incredibly entry-level little thing that they've done they sort of get taught to like downplay that as a like that's a you made something that's cool right right but there's this big like oh it's not it's not real like someone's gonna like laugh at it if i if i show it to anyone kind right. of thing and there's also this big thing of like people there's an expression people use like, oh that's that's not real programming right which is just kind of this invented status thing like someone some people there's a whole spectrum where people go oh, this is this is real programming and that's not real programming and Basically, real programming is what they do, and not real programming is what people they consider inferior to themselves do. And that gets projected, and people sort of learn that. And now you're going, oh, I've done some HTML, but it's not. I don't know, it's not yeah. Me. But like, what did you make? Well, I mean, that's the thing. When I when I learned, so my dad knew HTML before I did, but then I didn't really pay attention when I was growing up to all of that stuff because I guess I don't know. I had I had other things I was doing that was. Creative, creative wise after I'd finished university in fact even later than that when I moved to London I sort of started blogging and sort of thinking about and I guess I had a MySpace uh, and like was, was in bands and trying to promote those sorts of things so I was getting the basics of how to use HTML and in fact MySpace was really interesting because you could actually make it a lot better right. if you knew a little bit of HTML and kind of kind of hacked what they were doing you could make it, your MySpace yeah. site look quite interesting if you learn how to do it so I did a lot of that learning how to do stuff and then yeah things moved much for, you know much quicker than I was and now there's no real need to use HTML to uh, to, to, to do to do sort of interesting things with basic sites that already exist, you know what I mean? You can right. 
there's not so much of a need for that. And, and every time now I go to do it, it always turns out to not be supported by the by the screen I'm even using now. So right. it, I just used it to yeah customize the look of how things were. That's that's how you get started. That's how I got started. Right. I started out not even doing that. Just I think I'm pr pretty sure the first websites that I was making were done in like Word. And then I would look at the HTML that Word had generated with, you know, I was using like a visual tool and you, Word could let you save it as HTML and then I'd go and look at the HTML and go, oh, what does that do and then what does it do if I change this? And yeah, everyone sort of starts from that, that place of like not really knowing what they're doing. Right. And like at all, whatever level you're at, there's always a boundary where if you go there you don't know what you're doing. Right. Like no one knows right. Right, right. everything. And you could, you know, you can go through your, your old career pretty much having this idea like you're still, you're still just making like toy stuff and you're not a real programmer. And it's like when they have anything about technology on the news or the, the background, it's all like ones and zeros, right? And like nobody actually, that isn't what programmers do. They mostly write stuff that looks kind of like English. They write a lot of HTML. I think that, that, that illusion of what like real technologists are doing, like with real binary data and the sort of creates this, this this illusion and like you can sort of think, oh I'm not I'm not a real technology person because I that's not what I do. Right. I just write text in an editor and then I put it on a website somewhere and then it runs. Right, I think, and I think this is definitely an analogous to podcasting. In a lot of podcasters, I think feel that way about like we're not proper rate, like we're not as good as radio. We're not proper right. sound engineers. We're just making things up, and we don't necessarily appreciate that. That's that's all sound engineering, all radio work is is making things out of sound. You know, if right. you're doing that, you're doing. So I, I, I take your point on that, and I guess it's it's similar with music as well. Like people will do down oh, their stuff that they yeah. record in in their bedroom, but. You know, this is the the weird thing that I felt like before I got into doing programming as like my living, like things that I was into before that it was like I when I was a teenager I picked up guitar, and when I was in university I picked up photography, and those are both things that have like a real like gearhead mentality around them. If you go to photography meetups or at least the photography meetups that I went to, everyone wants to talk about cameras, and right. I'm not at all interested in talking about cameras. Right. I want to talk about pictures. Right. And it's the same with like you know like guitar magazines. It's like you know that like there's this obsessive. Do you have the right kit to be doing right, the right, thing? Right. Which is both a status thing. Like if someone comes in and they have their cheap guitar because they're like a beginner or they can't afford a fancy guitar, they get looked down upon. And it's the same with cameras. It's like you go to it's like you don't have the, you don't have this lens. You need that lens. It's very important that you have this right. lens, or you won't be able to do really anything useful. Right. And like like audio stuff, and like music and uh, that whole sphere of stuff has a like really big like manufactured authenticity culture right it's like you, you know oh we're not in a studio we're just like we're in a room by the river it's still a podcast right exactly right i mean and and, and that definitely is the case for me like, like people any, are still going to listen to right it. And, and every time i go to a place like where there's other podcasters around you know you do get broadly a split i would say between podcasters who feel like we're charlatans and pretenders right. and the people that you're talking about who really know about microphones you know really right. know about microphones which is great stuff which those people I'm, could I'm, be really useful you know, absolutely i'm not denigrating but. their skills i just it's just it, that's not what interests me about making podcasts uh, although that that's those skills do need to be learned to a certain extent yeah. in order to, to make stuff but i'm very much of a, a bit like with html i learn what i need to make the basics and then i get excited by the stuff i'm interested in rather than the, yeah. the process of making i'm much more of a I've, I've, 
I've thought about this over the years. I'm much more about the product than I am about the process. Although I totally, totally understand that loads of people and lo loads of my best like collaborators are process people. In fact, okay. it's quite good to collaborate as a product person with a process person because you sort of give each other a push in the right direction. They make me slow down and work on it, and I make them actually finish something and get it out there. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I mean, so I guess that kind of that's something that I see broadly within like the arts but I, I imagine it's also something that's there within coding I guess I mean do you think that do you yeah. think that coding like how would you situate coding in terms of like the arts and sciences and technology and all of that stuff I mean it's kind of it's confusing like a lot of people will they describe programming as being like a lot of other different things like oh it's it's an art because it's creative you're writing you're expressing yourself both in like what you make is an expression of what you think is fun or important or useful and like the way that you make it like what tools you use to build it and how your code is structured and I think there's a book that was published last year it's called like what if Hemingway wrote JavaScript which is basically it's a imagination of like what if a bunch of authors wrote programs what those programs look like because there is not a mechanical process like there are a lot of different ways to write the same program right. or like a program that does the same thing right like how you structure it and what you call things and what tools you use but there's also this like engineering side to it where like it has to do the thing that you want it to do and there are hard constraints on that this is all fundamentally based on machinery, electronic machinery, and then there's a load of stuff built on top of that, all the software that we use to build more software. It's this big tower of stuff built on top of other stuff. And like ultimately, it's, it's got to run fast enough to be usable, and that's ultimately a physics problem. Right. So yeah, it's kind of a bit of everything. You get people with different leanings approach it in different ways. Right. Which also means that like, it's fundamentally a, a team thing or like what you were saying about product versus process like my side projects there's no deadline I just like work on them and work on them until they seem to be in a state where like oh this does what I want so I'll release it whereas that isn't like a great way to run a company you have to know when something's going to finish or you have to at least know when something is like going to be good enough that you can put it in front of people and maybe start trying to make some money and, yeah. and that sort of thing right 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 when I'm at my job it's more about how do I do this work in as small chunks as possible so I can keep doing little improvements because you know there, there isn't there isn't even such a thing as it's finished you release it and then people give you feedback and you go oh, we should change that and that's that's a continuous process that never stops right I mean that's kind of a difference between like making a website and making a lot of art stuff yeah. like this idea of it always continually being improvable and right. you have new iterations that can be frustrating for users as well I mean a lot Absolutely. of the frustrations that users have is that we've just learned how to use a website and then everything right. about it changes right yeah you get this, the same thing with programming tools themselves like the programming languages that we use and all the toolkits that we use to make these websites have the same thing right. like there's this one version and then the authors of, of that software go oh actually it would be way better if it worked like this instead and so you upgrade and then everything breaks and that pipeline goes right back to the, the source of the people who are shipping CPUs eventually right I try to not have those kind of big disruptive things the software that I make for myself for fun uh, that's open source and people can use it I try wherever I can to keep it kind of stable so if you upgrade it your code won't break. With user-facing stuff, that's not—that's kind of harder to define because when you give software to other programmers, you're giving them a bunch of 
different functions that have like a well-defined, this function sends email, or this function runs a web server, or whatever it is. And those have like fairly well-defined semantics and interfaces, and you can be like, no, this is, we, we know we haven't broken this because we haven't changed how many inputs it takes or like just what it does. The user interfaces for people are a lot more fluid than that. You can change a lot of stuff about a website before people consider it broken. But it's also really surprising. You can make a really minor change that then people will go like, oh, now I can't find this thing. Like when they removed the word start from the start menu in Windows, and then people are like, where's the start menu? Right, 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 right. That seems like not a big change, but yeah, your, your idea of what constitutes a big change is much more ambiguous. Right. The effects of it on your users are ambiguous. Because sort of, if you have an idea for what would be a better thing, like something that will like ultimately, like in the long term, make things easier to do for people, if you introduce a big discontinuity in the being able to get there, then they might just leave and go somewhere else. Right. So yeah, you're always trying to sort of move in as small steps as possible to get to where you really want to go. Sometimes websites like will backtrack, like yeah. will, will go back like based on the responses that they get. But it, it seems to me the bigger the website, the less likely they are to backtrack. They just wait around, like Twitter for example, or Facebook, they just wait around till everyone goes, okay, right, well, right. We, that's the way it is now and let's, let's do it that way. I mean, I'm not saying that that's, that happens every time. There definitely have been, I can think of a number of occasions that Facebook and Twitter have both backtracked. Yeah. But, but generally speaking, it, it often feels like they just go, right, well, this is yeah. the new thing and when people will get into it soon and then, then we'll do it. So. Those are kind of outliers in the sense they they have way more users than right. most websites. Right. And at that kind of scale, even if like a few people are going, this is really egregiously terrible, if they're not that many people, they just don't get noticed. Right. And it's like the stuff where you see around, like among the people that I follow, there's a lot of people that criticize Twitter for like how it handles harassment. Right, me too. Um, how it makes its environment safe for people. Right. They're vocal enough that they can get some acknowledgement from the company. We've heard you, we're gonna to listen to this. But that company is also trading off that against loads of other stuff around like, this also needs to be a good platform for people to advertise on. Right. They're trying to cater to an awful lot of people. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to excuse them ignoring the people with safety concerns, no, sure. but like, that's the process that they're going through. The same pattern that you, you get with like basically any system that marginalizes people is like minorities are going to get out sheltered by everyone else with yeah. really bad effects. Right. Sites that are operating at, at, at that kind of level, they don't have any tools but aggregate statistical right. evidence for whether what they're doing is is good. It depends what, even how they define good. Right. Like, does good mean we've got more ad revenue, or does good mean that we've got less people blocking people? Or, right. Like, there's a lot of different things to weigh up about what they consider successful. Twitter's in a strange position as well, I mean, and Facebook, in that the, they're a little bit like what I was talking about with MySpace. There's, a, the, the, there's the existing website and what they want, but there's right. so many users, we're all using it in so many different ways. They might bring something in and someone might use that in a way that they're not anticipating, they're not expecting. Like To a certain extent, the users of Twitter are making Twitter as much as the people yeah. who are designing the program that we're using. But that makes so many complications, like you're saying. Yeah. So many people think of Twitter as a different kind of space. You know, right. For some people, it's a personal conversation they're having. For other people, they're talking to the world. You know, And, and there's not enough understanding right. of those separate ways we think about those spaces and how they might be in yeah. different situations. Like, which you see with things like the Samaritans app that, that happened last year. I don't know if you, yeah. you know about that, but yeah. that was 
something chronically terrible, I think, from the Samaritans. What they were planning to do was a terrible plan. But the reason that they made that mistake, I think, and I, I mean, I don't know. They, they were quite arrogant in the way they responded, but they have taken right. it away now, and they have, I think, listened. And I have a lot of respect for the organisation generally. But with that, like, the way that they responded to, to that, like, initially was that they didn't understand the different ways people use Twitter. They, had not, they hadn't really thought through right. the way that people actually use that. Um, and that was an interesting thing as well, because that's an outside, a completely out, they're not, that's not Twitter making that app. And that app's no. then going to go through Twitter and do different things with Twitter. It's a very complicated, murky, yeah. murky world, the kind of social media website thing. Some people think that Twitter conversations are basically public domain. And some people are like, no, this is, you can't take my stuff and use it. Right. for other things. This is stuff that I've written, it's like copyrighted, it has certain expectations of like privacy and you shouldn't go and quote this in an article without asking me first. A lot of that comes down to like, I think people not thinking about the consequences they're like being ignorant about in the first place. They might be well intentioned, but they just don't realize that something would happen. Other than responding badly to criticism. Right, there's so much, like what I see in social media is it's it generally, I find it is how people respond to criticism that is the, the problem. That, that, that right. So often people are criticised, it's quite valid criticism if they just listen. They're often right. people being criticised to people who I, I think have the capacity to understand the criticism and yes. take it on board. But there's just something inside the way that they respond, whatever it is. I think, I suspect it's around privilege and stuff like that. Absolutely. That, that they can't process it in a way. And, and it, it surprises me, and I'm, I'm always thinking, if I'm ever in that situation, please, please, please let me listen. Please, please, like, you know, yeah. I spend a lot of time, like, going, right, I have to understand and listen if anybody ever criticises me that way, you know. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I'm in the same boat. I have, like, every kind of privilege going. Right. My position on this is basically someone who doesn't have those privileges is criticising something for some reason. They know more about it than I do. Yeah. I could easily make any of these kind of mistakes out of ignorance just because I haven't learnt enough stuff yet. Yeah. The frustrating thing that you see is when some people do get this kind of criticism, if like if they will like defend what they've done or, or, or double down. Probably like quoting stuff in an article is a is a good example. So there's a bunch of people for whom like if you take a tweet of this out of context and put it in an article and publish it, that's gonna invite a whole bunch of grief right. to them personally. Absolutely. But you will then see people going Oh well, that it's my right as a writer to do this. What you're saying isn't valid. You know, it's a public space. Like Ladies and gentlemen, wow. welcome to the Purcell room. Please take your seats as the performance begins in five minutes. Appropriately, we're talking about a public space in a public <laughs> space, and uh, that's the kind of thing that happens in a public space. Yeah, yeah. That's the equivalent of Twitter spam. Right. <laughs> um, you get even to, to the extent of um, not just the people saying that Twitter is a public space, but you'll get people saying, well, you're a public figure. If someone is well-known in the tech industry, the community, like whatever sphere they're a part of, once they are a certain level of well-known, then people will go, well, you're a public figure. We, you ought to be subject to certain scrutinies. And like, these aren't people that asked for any of this. Like, just because they are vocal about stuff and well-known, it doesn't mean that, like, you know, they're not standing for public office. Right. right? They're not, and even the things we do to people who are standing for public office are pretty intrusive. Right. But yeah, that, that idea that like some private person on the internet is now a quote-unquote public figure and is therefore expected to deal with all sorts of awful stuff, like that's a justification that people right. make because you wrote something on the internet and a bunch of people retweeted it or something. It's like, yeah. oh, you're famous now, so it doesn't matter. 
you should expect it. It's a strange kind of double standard as well, because you, you're right. There's a lot of people, generally women, often minority groups as well, yeah. who are told, you know, you want to express yourself, therefore you should expect to get rape threats, right? Right. But then you've got kind of Which people, is a really messed up thing I to know, say. It's, it's absolutely disgusting. But then at the same time, you've also got people saying kind of the, the opposite thing of like, people sort of like who are quite big public figures saying I shouldn't have to put up with this kind of abuse in inverted commas when when often some of the abuse they're getting right. is quite reasonable criticism from right. those very marginalized groups who, who get harassed all the time right that always surprises me you know when someone who I have a lot of respect for is, is getting quite quite reasonable criticism yeah and then they're framing that as abuse but then I kind of understand it because three tweets later they'll be getting abuse and so the collective the collective feeling of all of those tweets probably does feel like abuse you know? yeah it is not nice if people no. on the internet say mean things to you the difference is where you sort of get the impression that the when someone in a position of privilege is criticized and describes it as abusive that they don't realize the extent of what other people have to deal right, with right. like the worst that they are going to get is that someone on twitter says that their article was bad they might say that in a, in a really mean way like no one is going to like send them death threats no one is going to publish their home address they have this idea that like internet abuse is, is just people saying stuff and you can ignore it because for a lot of people it intrudes into their lives in like really like genuinely threatening ways um, or it does other things like it contributes to a culture like when people are abused because of their minority status whatever that is that contributes to a culture of them being looked down upon them being underpaid them being abused in all sorts of like for, for a lot of people getting abusive messages on Twitter it's really just it's a proxy for something else it's not something that stops at words so either those words are going to be like triggering or they're going to be they're going to contribute to an abusive culture that has like tangible real life effects right. or it's stuff that is like doxing or right, right. there's right. a lot more to it than so, just someone was mean to me on the internet right and doxing for people who don't know is when 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 people give out your personal details for example an address or your job or where your your place of work that sort of thing um, and when they give out those personal details they're not just given out randomly they're given out targetedly in terms of we should do this whatever it is hassle them at work or hassle them at home like right. it's like a conservative attempt and it is a real world intrusion into people's lives involving stalking and yeah all sorts of terrible real life things but that's the funny thing like we're talking about we're talking about this a lot at the moment in terms of culture because we're talking about public shaming right and how that is experienced right. but we're not but, but to my to my to what i can see and i haven't read the book about public shaming yet but I've read a lot of articles about that book yeah. but, but, and, and I have a lot of respect for the person who wrote it but at the same time what it seems to me is whatever the value of that book or not we don't seem to be talking about the most marginalised people when we're talking about the effects of public shaming right. and those are the ones who we should speak to first I would imagine to really see the complexities of yeah. I also haven't read it either but I do remember seeing when I first saw ads for it on the tube, I saw the cover, I was like, I know exactly who that book is going to be about. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be about the people who got called out, not the people who have, like, genuine consequences. Right. Um, it's I mean, also, like, a lot of the criticism that I've seen is stuff like Adria Richards is, is quoted in it. She has said that, like, it misrepresents her story, it paints her experience and the people that she was reporting's experience as being equivalent, which is 
not, not right. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I believe it doesn't even mention her like her race in it. I think I don't even think I don't know if that's exactly true. But, not, like I said, I but, but, it, but definitely I've heard a lot of things suggesting that what's not being looked at is the power dynamics involved in it. Right. Like, that's what I think is the most important. So, so Adria Richards was a, a black woman at a tech conference who experienced... Well, there, there's differing views on what happened, but my view, based on her account, is that she was having sort of sexist jokes made about her from behind her. She turned around, took a picture, put it online. And that had an effect on the people she was talking about and on her. Yes. Like, she also lost her job as a result of, of that picture and that, that public shaming event and she still isn't she still is having trouble getting jobs as far as I understand yeah. from her r- reports about it obviously that's not our story and we don't really know about that the facts on the ground but you do know a, a little bit I guess about the kind of tech the culture around what she may have experienced you know th- right. th- that she's in a room full of white men like yeah. yourself feeling feeling marginalised whether they whether the joking about her was mean or whether she interpreted it as mean, it is definite that she experiences lots of meanness in her life and lots right. of stress around being a black woman in a white male yeah. dominated industry, right? And you're part of that industry, I guess. Yeah. I'm like one of the people who has it easy. Probably a big cause of the problem is that and this is what I've seen a few people say when you have like overt discrimination that's sort of like it's it's obvious and you go okay well you're a bad person I'm not going to interact with you it's easy to spot and other people will go oh yes that was bad what's a lot harder to deal with is this thoughtless like not people not being intentionally malicious it's people right. being thoughtless right. and then not listening to criticism so like it's really easy for people to, to say things just because they're ignorant and it's really easy for them to be ignorant when they're surrounded by people who are just like them who don't have face any of the problems of being not a man or not white or not cisgendered or not straight, all of the majority traits of which tech is like overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly white. Overwhelmingly middle class, I imagine? Yeah, mostly mostly well educated, well paid, very privileged set of people. Yeah. And like it's most likely that those guys made that joke assumed it would be harmless. Yeah. Which is an easy opinion to have if you are not going to be meeting a lot of people who are going to be affected by it. Right. At conferences, there's like quite a bit of that. Like people in their presentations or in conversation with each other will just say things that are thoughtless. They didn't think anyone would be offended. Like some some people are genuinely surprised that like oh I put I put this slide that, of basically pornography in my presentation and I didn't think that would be offensive. Like, so you get a lot of that. But you also get people being not thoughtless, like like deliberately harassing people, you know, like hitting on women where it's not appropriate, right. like invading their personal space, crossing boundaries, following them back to their hotel room, just all that kind of stuff. But it's just like, how how could you think that was okay? But there is a very like male-dominated culture, and like it's there's a lot of conference organizers that will think it's totally okay to hire booth babes or like dancing girls as entertainment because they assume it's like it's all it's all men, right? It's all like business dudes, and it's all for their entertainment. I was like, yeah, that's the overriding culture of, of, of tech conferences. Like, you see pictures from entities, it's all, it's all men. Yeah, I mean, even if they weren't, like, going through microaggressions and not understanding boundaries and all of those things, just the very fact that going into that room, a, a person of colour or a woman is such a minority, yeah. even if all of the men were behaving themselves, it would still be quite daunting, I think. Right. It's um, like... So, like, if they've got these added 
the extra obstacles over the just the factual obstacles of like it's really really hard to get a job if you're a woman or a person of colour in in tech. If you're someone with loads of privilege like us and you start thinking about it, I don't understand how people get through like a day. I can hardly deal with any kind of any kind of problem or tension or stress and they shouldn't have to go through that so don't get me wrong I'm not like no like that shouldn't be the, the, the I, place ad- I, I admire people who manage to do it against such obstacles but I don't want those obstacles to be there I'm not sure if admire is the word that I use but I don't know what word I, I would use right I'm already feeling uncomfortable about the word admire yeah <laughs> well no it's, it's, I, it's not because it's that, just that, you know that, it's that just living thing. isn't it it's just getting through life you, right. know, you do just, what you have to do if you're in that life yeah and we don't have to have those kind of obstacles in our lives if you're walking into one of those spaces and you're you're not a man or you're not white or you're just the statistics I mean, like if, if like you know the sort of like oh not all men think if, even if most men were not going to be horrible to you some there's someone in that room who's going to give you a bad time. I have friends who've like been at conferences where like one guy follows them around all day right. and just like they've given a talk and one guy will just follow them around all day and not leave them alone and just give them grief about it. It's like you just need one person to do that and then it's and like yeah while the balance is this far out of whack like it's pretty likely there's going to be at least one person who's going to do that right and only gets more likely as the event gets bigger well i mean i think it's it's kind of more likely almost in some ways in a tech environment partly because if you've grown up with geek culture which i have to a certain extent like a lot of the messages in geek culture have not been positive do you know what i mean yeah have not been respectful of boundaries you know like you know if you watch revenge of the nerds now you can understand why people who've brought up watching that don't understand women's boundaries right and also you know even as far as like harrison ford kisses people all the time in a completely unconsensual way but they love it Right, like whether it's you know whether it's Star Wars or in Blade Runner, it it goes across a line that I, I don't find that pleasant. But like that's the thing, it was still wrong in it was still wrong in, in in Indiana Jones, you know. But it didn't feel wrong in Indiana Jones, and, right. and so that's the thing. You've brought up with all of those cultural reference points, and I think also people in tech, and I assume this, but have probably had similar kind of experiences in schools, the one that I had, which is you know they've not been the male uh, the male kind of they've not been men. Uh, they've, been, no. they've been they've been mistreated by other men, yes, and also probably by women as well, girls, because that's the culture around masculinity. If you're not quite manly, everyone treats you badly. Yeah. And then they make connections in their in their heads, so they go out into the world feeling like they're the oppressed ones, and so they feel like entitled to 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 kind of get into yeah. people's faces. I feel like because they feel like they're owed something for the years of oppression without realising that there were people much worse oppressed right around the corner in those classes who, right. who when school finished, still had to, had to deal with that stuff right. uh, in a way that since school's finished, I've never had to deal with that with anything but privilege, really, I think. I think I had, yeah, I had a pretty similar experience. I actually went to an all-boys school as well, which is... So it's just your, your entire environment is like masculine competition. Right. A lot of people in tech will have grown up being like, you know, the nerds not the popular kids and yeah for boys especially like at at school that's like a big part of how you're judged at school is like do girls like you and you get all of this pressure to be like you have to like prove yourself as a man by getting girls to like you or like not making them actually like you like kind of forcing them to do stuff with you yeah right Um, 
that's it's like not them as a person it's them as an idea right as, a, as, to get as, a, like as an achievement yeah. right, as, a, right. as, a, as a conquest is the literal yeah. term so yeah that's what you are sort of fed as a boy growing up in, a, in school really. and yeah if you don't get that kind of checked by something else so like cause it's really easy to come out of school feeling like I'm at the bottom of the pile like I've got it worse than everyone else where you're actually like still pretty near the top yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and yeah there is like so there's by some of that there's people feeling entitled and having that like like conquest mentality but also people feeling like like I can't be I can't be the one oppressing people because I'm, I'm I've always been the victim right. like every, everything I do must must be fine right um, and it's frustrating as well though because there's also a scene that runs through geek culture which is kind of why i why i'm into it why which is about accepting the other if you like like you know like so many s superhero type things are about like like you know the x-men is a classic example of that being about considering minority groups experiences and like you know being aware of those kind of the complicated way that the world is is framed like i feel like Everybody's had a lot of information where they could have made, they could have come to the right conclusions, but so many people don't seem to have, don't seem to have taken that step and sort of seen themselves from outside. Right. I mean, and I don't know if I do that efficiently. Like, I know that it's like I, I'm, I'm very aware that when you know two, when two white privileged men are like talking about other privileged men, it's like we're saying we're not we're not guilty. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm guilty. I know I'm, I'm completely guilty. guilty. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, it's that, like I said, it's, it's uh, as someone with a lot of privilege, it's really easy to be ignorant, especially if you come out of an environment like you know my whole like teenage years, I was just surrounded by boys the whole time. I like didn't interact with right. half of the people that exist. Right, and there's like weird things to your brain. There's a lot of stuff that I was just ignorant about, and yeah, then you spend a few years kind of catching up learning about other people and like how they see the world and how their life works but no there's like a whole bunch of things that was like yeah opinions that I've had or like things I've expressed in the past that were just like because I just didn't know any better yeah it's incredibly easy that's why your response to criticism has to be to listen to people yeah right like they know more about it than you do right so that's all I think really figure I can do is just like try not to make those mistakes again and try to listen to people those mistakes affect and amplify their voice and how much influence they have right yeah yeah I mean and that's what spoke to me like in terms of what you did at Geek Show of. like what you were talking about then was kind of about tech but it was also about the misogyny behind tech and the sort of things we've just sort of been touching on a little bit. You, you broke it down very efficiently. I'm not saying that someone from a marginalised group wouldn't have even no. better insights and stuff like that. And you, you certainly weren't saying that. No, but like all of all of that is things that I got by from listening to those people. Right. Exactly. I like this is a big frustration of mine that you get. There are some people that I've met that will only listen to this stuff if another man or another white person tells them. Right. To. Right. If I tell them like you should just go and listen to this person instead, then they won't. They won't do that. Right. Which is how you can tell if you're not getting anywhere. If you're in a conversation with a, with a group of people and you're criticising someone because of their company's job ads or like the way they advertise or just the way their product works or something, and they will like basically only let the men speak. You can tell like their you know their intention isn't where it ought to be for this right. conversation to be worthwhile. Right. Like. 
you can tell you're not getting anywhere. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting, that's like a, a, an area of male privilege. I feel like I've, I've not experienced that much because of the fact that I've mostly worked in my working career in, in environments that have been majority women. And so, I mean, I guess I've been, you know, I, I've, I've noticed, I'm not, I've definitely noticed lots of male privilege I've had even within majority women environments. Okay. Like, like, in those situations, you tend to like, they tend to like look after you and like do more of your work for you. Like, because I don't know, a cultural, uh, like the way that we're, we're conditioned, especially because I've always worked with like middle-aged, if you like, women. So they're like, mothering me if, if you like right. as I was you know when I was in my 20s um, and I never liked that because I was aware that I could get away with murder to a certain extent and, 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 sure. and a woman wouldn't have been able to do that I've been in more meetings where men have been being silent because of, there, were, there were more women than men there uh, than I have where there's been men talking over but I hear okay. so many people talking about that that, 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 that that's how it is in boardrooms in meetings of, in, and I guess in tech it must be like that all the time right because there's yeah. a lot of men in the room and not very many women I keep seeing this thing come around. Someone did a study where it's like if you if you have a movie, the gender balance in the cast at which people will think the cast is gender balanced is actually still skewed really male. Right. Like you can't have more than like a third of the cast be women. People will think they're like, oh, this film's all women. Right. And like, as someone who like spent a lot of his youth like just growing up surrounded by men, it's like it's kind of easy to like, oh, this is this is the default and it doesn't feel weird for me to go into a conference room that's full of men because that's that was my whole social conditioning growing up and so that that kind of rings true you, you, you get people get this impression that like like even if you look at like the, the number of uh, if you have a conference the number of women that are on the lineup before people like this is partly that it's like the numbers are currently really low and if a conference gets like 25% women speakers, they'll be like, okay, we're making progress. It's like, we're still a long way off actually having balance, but it's better than we did last year. So like, let's, let's count that as a win and let's do better next time. Something I realized at a conference I was at last year, that I, one day of the conference, most of the talks I went to were by women. And that's the first time that ever happened. The rest of my career is like one or two talks in the entire event would be by women. Right. The fact that really stood out to me, I think it just made me even more aware of like the default. Right. And how like even like as aware of, as I am of this stuff, it's really easy for me to feel like a room with mostly men in it is like normal. Right. Right. Because um, yeah, just like every environment that I've been in, probably like university was like the most gender balanced environment that I've been in in general. Right. My course specifically, I was doing physics, which is male dominated. Not as male dominated as my job, but still. Yeah, most of the environments I've been in have been, been male-dominated, so it's easy, easy for that to feel normal. Right. And I expect that applies to a lot of people who are like... Yeah, I bet. And the, the less aware you are of that stuff, the less you're going to question it. Yeah, I mean, weirdly, I think I feel, I feel like less comfortable in an all-male environment than I do in a mixed, like, all-majority woman environment. Do you, um, do you think that's because of what your work life has been like? or is it? I think it's a mixture of that. It's also, there's a lot of strong women in my family okay. and it's also it's also having had quite negative experiences with men right. generally as a group I don't feel safe in a room of men because growing up it was although everybody all, all, all genders bullied me uh, it was definitely uh, it was definitely the boys who were the like the ones who were 
who who cared about like who there was like so a lot of girls might might have casually bullied me just as part of the culture but it was the the men who really took pleasure in right. belittling me and making me lower down in the pecking order and like right. I guess because they're, they're so the afraid have a, have a, like, themselves campaign. in some ways right you get the, like the guy who's going to come like year after year they're going to be trying right. to do stuff to you right because it's like yeah I think it's because like they're afraid that like they're so afraid that their masculinity is going to be questioned that they have to be constantly like pushing down people, other people, just to prove their masculinity is going on. Well, that's that's how I felt it was. Yeah, I have no idea what the motivation um, for that thing is. I mean, I imagine. I don't know. For some people, I guess it's, it's just fun to be in power, yeah. basically. But yeah, I think that that kind of um, that phrase that people have, like when they they, they tell you this like all the time so although like, but bullies are cowards it's like they are that's not a very helpful thing to tell people because right, right. your impression is that they're like big and strong and powerful right because that's the whole thing that they've they've constructed like yeah. someone telling you oh they're, they're scared really it doesn't really you don't no. know what to do with that <laughs> exactly well so, I, I couldn't have comprehended that fully when i was actually experiencing it it's only looking back as well that you can see can see the context of like the lives that the people who are bullying you might have you know it's it's a, it's, a, it's quite interesting you know t to consider that because often the people who are heading up heading the bullying at school or whatever will often be actually some of the more marginalized men or like at least from a class angle or like from a home life angle of like the complicated lives that they might have at home right um so there's, there's, definitely a there's, temptation to, um, there's definitely a temptation to join in just so that like for protection basically right. um, oh yeah I mean if, sort of if I'd like, had like, the option I definitely would have joined in I just never had the option because I was like the, the one who was scapegoated but 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 if but I, I know for a fact on a couple of occasions I the power dynamics did change in moments and I did join in do you know what I mean like because yeah. it's it's just it's just to keep yourself safe like it's, to keep yourself yeah. alive in school it's like the yeah it's the whole like economy of school is like no one has like jobs or money or anything like all that you have for like competition is whatever else you can construct to get power that's like violence right. or harassment or whatever it is and so yeah you, you, you sort of like if that's the, the, the system that you find yourself in you know you sort of, well like at some point you start thinking like oh I've, you know I've got a sort of Play by the system, basically. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, like it really affects your your thinking. That's like the way your entire like culture works is like you're going to be happy in proportion to how much you can stop people victimizing you, and doing that requires that you try to victimize other people. Right. And it's toxic. Yeah, and that that's how we bring up children. Yeah. That's how we. That's the journey we we send people off on towards adulthood and then when we reach adulthood it's not surprising that so many people like carry on some of those problematic no. behaviors in adulthood and you could you can sort of reason about not like excuse it or, or be reasonable about it but you can kind of like once you're an adult you can like ascribe rationalizations to people like okay well this this person is being over controlling because like their job depends on it or like they've got a it's really important that they get that contract because they'll get a raise from their boss. Like, there's some kind of 
I don't know why we find economic things easier to justify than, right. than like emotional well-being things for some reason. But that's I mean that's really true. I've been doing this. Uh, I've been doing this survey of me, of men's yes. opinions, and one of the things that's been really interesting to me about that survey is that people res- like men are much more comfortable talking about patriarchy in terms of work than they are in terms right. of domestic like sphere to a certain extent like right. a lot of people in or, it's, their, or as a system I've yeah, seen a lot of right. the responses to that talk about it in very like very still very like individualist terms right. rather than a, a systemic thing yeah that's true as well and what's that's been really fascinating to me that a lot of people like almost their definition of patriarchy is it's a thing that happens in the workplace and it's problematic and I don't like it right it's a set of instances mm. it's not a culture mm. and that's kind of that's fascinating to me that the, the things that we're happy to own up about of like things we've done wrong tend to be in the workplace like a lot of people saying you know oh I'm sure that I've got jobs that women should have had I'm sure like they, they don't say like I was terrible to a woman in, in you know they say I'm sure I got jobs that women should have had you know it's, it's more abstract right and, and like there exists a person right I don't know who they are right I, I yeah I, I have harmed a fiction yeah a, 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 a possible person yeah. and and that's the thing like the things that we're we're willing to cop to are, are, do seem to either be to do with work which is like well it's not my fault that's that's the way work is I, I, I'm just trying to make right. it better within the as much as I can but I know I've done it wrong or the other thing people are really happy to say oh I've done wrong is is, is you know domestic chores like oh I, I should do more of the domestic chores than I do which sure that's a problem that is a real problem right. that, that men do really need to look at the amount of labor women are doing on top of the actual oh, right. labor they're doing in their day it's like the movie casting but, thing the amount of housework are, men will do before right. they feel like they're doing half of it is like right. Way less than half. But, but those two areas are the easy, guilt-free things to admit to, right? They're the things like, sure, work's problematic, and oh yeah, I, did, I don't do enough housework, but nobody, even though everyone agrees that that's a problem, nobody right. thinks that you're a terrible person if you don't do enough housework. Whereas, whereas if, right. you've been, you know, if you've bullied someone, or yeah. had microaggressions, or whatever, there's lots of worse things that people can do. Those are things people don't want to admit, but these are the safe safe sexisms we could admit to that, that right. make us kind of protected I guess. Yeah, it like it lets you say that you realise there's a problem. Right. Without acknowledging anything like too serious. But sure. has consequences. I mean and that's hard for anyone. Like don't get me yeah, wrong, sure. if I did that survey for, for all, all genders, everyone would have a hard time with the bit that asked them to say how they've hurt people. I understand that even the wording of that like makes it so it, it's emotionally phrased deliberately because I uh, I didn't want it to be scientific and rational <laughs> but, but but that's the thing I mean like yeah. when you use the word hurt people are very they have, they have visceral reactions I right. mean and, and, and lots of people to be fair lots of men filling it out have filled in very detailed mere culpas have, have really been looking at terrible things they've done like and admitting those things and and those are the those are the responses I find the most heartening in a weird way, even though they're people admitting to terrible things. I, I find that much more heartening that people are thinking about changing the way that they've been and, and looking back right. at their teenage years, for example, and, and, and going, oh my God, I was a terrible person. Right. Good, good. <laughs> That's great. That's heartening. It's the people who won't look back at that that worry me. Right. Because, yeah, you can... It's like, yeah, well, you can justify anything you did as a kid for some reason like oh, I, I was being bullied so like I couldn't have been doing anything wrong like yeah but even like the stuff 
that's further back in the past is easier to dress because it's like it's way past the point where you could do anything. Right, that's about true that. too. Yeah, very um, few people are talking like about looking their, at like yeah. looking at like what did I do this week? Right, what did I do today? Right, yeah. it's like you know that means that like there's someone like right now that you have to apologise to. Aware. And this is the thing is like I probably keep doing things that are harmful to people without even realising it because it's hard for people to tell you right that you hurt them in some way. So yeah, you sort of it's it, it's easier to see see things that are further away because you've learned a bunch of stuff since then. But also like the consequences are right. Although I mean, there's also hopefully the factor that you'd hope that some people have improved since their teenage years as well. Sure. Like a, a, like as much as I like. I find that's a complicated balance as well because if I'm not careful, I'll spend all my time worrying about every single thing I'm doing, which I agree as a super privileged person that I probably should be doing a lot of, but there's a point where it get, becomes just kind of a symptom of my mental health issues right. rather than an actual uh, constructive way of, of improving my, 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 my behaviour. Like, I, if I sit and beat myself up all day for every possible thing that could have interpreted every way then that's not very constructive either that's not really helping women uh, to have better like lives and like uh, inter interactions in the world if, if I'm just sitting at home uh, thinking I'm a terrible person well there's, there's a difference between being like mindful and being obsessive right I suppose it's a hard that's a hard difference for me to for me to capture okay. but, but I but I understand that there is one yeah um, <laughs> well, you can kind of turn that around I think I try to think of that more in terms of like if I read something, whether that's a tweet or an article or a podcast or whatever that makes me learn something, like something that I didn't realise was problematic before, like then that's an opportunity to go like, is that something that I do? Is that something that I contribute to? Right. And then go, oh, does that mean that I need to watch out right. to not do that again or to like change what I'm doing? Rather than it being a, a constant thing, it's more a sort of like at the point where you learn something then you reflect and you go, yeah. do I need to change something about what I'm doing? Think about that enough that it hopefully sticks. Like it takes a while for, you know, to change your habits and so, but yeah, it's, I think, yeah, rather than it being something that I sort of constantly think about, it's more stuff like if I, if I learn something new, then I try and go like, how does that apply to me? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I do that, but then also obsess about it, like, and worry too much about it. But that's uh, that's hardly a hardship compared to all of the privileges that I have. So it's like, no. you know, so what? So what if I worry a little bit too much about stuff? That's better than the alternative of right. me not worrying enough about it. That's what I always think. To a certain extent. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you. Like, there's almost like. There's like whole areas that I never even managed to like get into. I mean, I guess about like how you how you got into coding. I was gonna gonna ask you that sort of. Oh, thing. that's not that interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we're like, so we're we're around about the time for the last question. So the last question I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? Do I have anything to plug? Yeah. Oh god. It's almost like some people like it's almost a distasteful question in some ways. <laughs> I. I write a bunch of software that I guess most people are not that interested in using. I wrote a book last year. Uh, you did? That was one of the things I didn't manage to talk to you about. Yeah. That was, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a book about testing JavaScript, if that's something people are interested in. Yeah, that was when I was between jobs a couple of years ago. It was something I'd been telling myself I wanted to do for a while, and then 
basically realised I didn't have the mental space to do it without leaving my job. So when I left my job, I spent, basically wrote till I ran out of money and then got a new job. What's the book called and how can I buy it? It's that? called JavaScript Testing Recipes. It's a riveting read, yes. <laughs> if, you are, no, if, if, if you are looking to try to learn to program, it might be useful to you. So. And they can put, where can they find it? jstesting.jcoglan.com or just Google the name or something. It's just what to come up. Well, I've never been asked that question before. Well, <laughs> what, to plug something? Yeah, it's yeah. not. Yeah, it's a, well, it's definitely a weird question to have at the end of the show because some, sometimes my guests are, are like, like they haven't even got books. Like sometimes they're just you know an everyday person who hasn't got literally, if they haven't really got anything to plug. So it's such a right. weird. So it's kind of for them, it's really out of context, strange idea. But then for some other people who are on it, it's like all they do is plug and they don't even want to plug because they're so sick of plugging. You know? <laughs> but I feel like I should give my guests a chance to to get something of value from the experience. And the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. <laughs> goodbye, audience. It's been lovely talking to you. Bye, everyone. My solo show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity is not over. It's just the run in Edinburgh has finished. I am going to be developing it, doing it in other places. You can find more about the show and you can find the survey of a thousand anonymous men's thoughts on masculinity, patriarchy, what it is to be a man over at www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook and subscribe to it pretty much anywhere that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.